Welcome back, everybody, to a very special edition of About to Review. I'm your host, that guy named John, and joining me today is a man of many talents. Uh, he is a phenomenal artist, comic book collector, action figure collector, half of Berkeley Illustration, and the true prince of Eternia, Ryan Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, John. I'm, uh, I'm happy to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so Ryan and I have known each other quite a long time, and every time we get together, we just we talk geek stuff for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, we never really talk about real life. Stuff. Yeah, because real life is lame. Comic yeah. books and action figures are way better. When you have a, a good outlet, someone to talk to about it, and you don't really have too many people you talk about it all the time, uh, it, it's nice and refreshing to kind of get away from it. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said... Uh, Ryan is half of Berkeley Illustration, which for those of you listening, if you have seen an animal wearing some sort of suit in some sort of painting or drawing, most likely you are you are seeing a Berkeley Illustration original. So, Ryan, for those people who, for whatever reason, I cannot yeah. think of a reason, but for whatever reason, people do not know who you are and what your style is, tell them about it. Um. Yeah, so I, um, as an artist, I am kind of known for that anthropomorphic artwork, which uh, means animals uh, kind of humanized. Mm -hmm. And it's the style has been around for centuries. I'm not going to lay claim to it. Uh, everybody's <laughs> been doing it for years and years and years. Um, but when we started our shop uh, on Etsy, making those animal prints in 2007, mm -hmm. um, we got pretty popular for the next you know, up until now. And, um, it's for us, we see it all the time, obviously, cause we do it right. all day, every day. That's our job. <laughs> uh -huh. But, um, you know, I feel like we may have bond a lot of, um, other people kind of showing up and saying, well, these are selling well, or this is a, uh, a cool trend. And so they kind of start similar shops. And, mm -hmm. We kind of see stuff pop up a lot, and some are blatant ripoffs, and some are inspired by. And mm -hmm. but again, I'm not taking credit for it, but I just um, I don't know. It's uh, something that we do, and it's not really what I intended to do with my artistic career when I was uh, in high school. Right, more of a, a comic guy, and I thought that I would definitely get into comics. Which I, I mean, granted, you did. I mean, you have created original comic characters. Uh, yeah, the, the Willamette Phantom. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, Captain Burnside. <laughs> oh boy. So, so I'm going deep into Ryan's yeah. archive with those. Yeah. So I, that's what I always wanted to do in high school. I would just draw superheroes, and I told myself. I think it was, um, you know, mid '90s comics. I, uh, Joe Madrera or Madrera, however you say his name, he was mm -hmm. really popular. Did the X-Men. Um, I remember him being a professional artist and he was 18 years old. And I was like, well, I, <laughs> I'm not as good as Joe, but uh, I think if I practice enough, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to go straight out of high school and work for Marvel. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I, all I did was pinup art. I didn't realize that sequential comic art was actually uh, something that you had to master. So um, <laughs> after I graduated, took a couple of years of like, the community college and wasn't really finding any fulfillment there and 
starting to realize that, you know, I'm not good for comic. What was I thinking? <laughs> it was right. in my heyday of just drawing superheroes all the time. So cut to uh, meeting my wife and then um, we were together for uh, a long time and, and until we kind of um, started the, the animal artwork kind of on a whim. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took off, and my path went in a completely different direction. But what you're talking about, those characters you mentioned, uh, it was kind of like my my one last dying effort to try to get into comics. And you know, I, I, came, I created a couple of Portland-based superheroes, which I thought were entertaining at the time, and I gave them backstories. And uh, there were some fans, and I guess you're one of them. <laughs> of course, I mean, pretty and, much. Yeah, I mean, all of your stuff, I'm a fan of. But especially, I remember when those when you first started putting up you know, your work with that yeah. being the comic book lover that I am. I was like, these things are awesome. I wonder what he will do with them. Right. And (laughs) that was what you did with them. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was ambitious for about a couple weeks. I was really into writing these backstories and creating all these hilarious villains. And, um, I guess my idea was to maybe make a graphic novel. And I think right around then, like we kind of did the Etsy thing and it just kind of died off. I think one of the characters from that whole group i had survived and that was uh, my kind of uh furry sasquatch character named kenny who mm-hmm. i still i still have a lot of love for and you know he's got a little small fan base but um we can i guess tell you where to find kenny later if anybody yeah there. absolutely <laughs> yeah. um and then i did have a and i don't want to go into too much but this is kind of a long story so i'll try to shorten it i had a i don't know if i ever told you this story but i had my mm. foot in the door briefly for marvel a couple years ago okay um, and I was very excited about it. And it was through a weird circumstance. We were selling uh, my animal prints at a Brooklyn Renegade show about, I don't know, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, none other than Wyatt Sedak from the da- then Daily Show came mm-hmm. to my booth, bought a couple prints, said he really liked my art. We kind of hit it off. Um, I think the next Monday, we were still in New York. He invited us to go do a Daily Show taping. And we got like you know good seats and back stage tour and talked to white in his office. He's a really cool guy. Um, yeah, he, um, he showed me, you know, his office was decorated with comic stuff and he told me he's really into comics and he was going to write some stuff for Marvel. And I don't remember if it was then or later. He asked if I was interested in, um, illustrating a, he calls it the why if, which is a play on the what if comic, mm-hmm. but it's why it's classic. Yeah. Yeah. Why it's, ver- and I, I really love what if, by the way, um, the why it, um, through the idea of having me, you know, draw a little story for this little col- uh, collection of stories he was going to do for Marvel. So he gave me the um, contact info for the editor then, and the editor sent me five scripted pages of an Amazing Spider-Man story and said, mm-hmm. "Okay, draw these pages." <laughs> and I was so excited, but I remember it was the hardest artwork I can remember ever doing because I was being such a perfectionist about it. I penciled and inked uh, five pages, drew buildings, which I'm horrible at drawing any kind of um, structural mm-hmm. imagery. Um, and I just tore my hair out, and I was really, really excited but nervous. And then at the end, I thought I did a decent job. I had these five pages and submitted them to the editor. Because he, he liked my work, but he wanted to make sure I could tell a story to Right. Um, and uh, I didn't hear from forever. And I emailed him one day, and he just wrote back and said, oh, we went with another artist. Sorry. And uh, okay. my heart was my heart was torn out, but you know I understand. Um, I think I actually shot myself in the foot by trying too hard. I think if I had a looser style, mm-hmm. uh, which is what my wife tells me in general, I, I'm too much of a perfectionist with my art. Um, <laughs> that maybe I would have had a, a little um, 
piece in this white if and i bought the issue afterwards and i saw the art in there and i'm like oh this, i you know it's good art but i wish i was part of it right oh well whatever well like spe- speaking of perfection now when you draw do you still hold your breath is that still yeah, a thing you do? Yeah, that's. A, I've always done it. And I never noticed I do that until my wife pointed out. Right. Cause she's, she's working there with me. Uh, she's on the computer while I'm drawing pretty much all the time. I never noticed I do it. And then I'll, she will mention it once in a while. And I'll just hold it. And then I'll just exhale this. And I won't even know that I'm, I'm that's, I guess I'm pretty uh, concentrating pretty hard when I'm drawing. Uh, considering you are taking away your oxygen supply <laughs> to make sure that lines are straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, kind of, I mean, along those lines, how, you know, it is kind of cliche, but imitation is the fondest form of flattery. So, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of touched on this, that sometimes you see some imitators and, you know, yeah. that happens with any art form. A lot but, of our artist friends. Yeah, it happens to a lot of friends too. Absolutely. So like, who do you, not necessarily try to imitate, but who, who are, who are your inspirations? Like who I'll is someone... <laughs> I'll tell you who I try to uh, imitate for sure would be uh, Alex Ross. Ah, um, oh, yes. In a way, you can take his style and apply it to my animal world. That's kind of what I shoot for. Um, but I'm not like obsessing and looking at his art and going, "Oh, I'm trying." Right. Know, it's not quite Ross esque. It happens to be. Um, Alex is a, a big. Um, he's like he's the best. I, I yep. can never get enough of him, and I have I loved his stuff ever since long ago. Um, and then, you know, when I used to draw comics, I was a big Simon Bisley fan. It's kind of like uh, from the uh, the Lobo series, and he did a lot of um, 2080 work. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the way that he draws something amazingly detailed, and then he'd draw like a crazy penguin or something in the background that looked like he did it in three seconds. So the, this <laughs> combination of like amazingly detailed art and like a shitty, quick, you know, crazy looking sketch, mm-hmm. and the way that all worked well has influenced my art in some way or another. Uh, at least back in the day, I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more, um, I don't know, less comic book artists. Uh, I don't know who, that's a good question. Um, not Beatrix Potter, even though a lot of people think so. I actually... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, don't, I don't think I read any of those books. And, uh, I don't know. You know, children's artwork in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends, um, I have a lot of artist friends. Uh, a lot of them are, their style is influential. I mean, I see how they do things. Try to mm-hmm. take notes. But yeah. Okay. Excellent. So that is the, the Berkeley illustration side of things. Yeah. Uh, which is which is incredible. Uh, Thank you. I mean, it just, because again, you guys found a way, you and your wife, Lucy, yeah. found a way to take something, like you said, has already been around, but to make yeah. it your own, to make it unique. Yeah. Because it is not just drawing, you know, an animal with a suit. Yeah. You always come up with backstories. You come up with yeah. and so that I think is what elevates it into something unique and different and just even more special. Yeah. I was at a shop in Portland the other day and I they were selling some prints that looked very similar to mine and I flipped it over and there was a backstory exactly like how my my mm. wife writes them and I'm I mean, come on, it's, it's obvious here. But, um, yeah, the, the animal thing was definitely a fluke. Like, I love animals. I love mm-hmm. drawing them. Truthfully, it gets a little, uh, I'm a little burnt out. So we're looking for something different right now. We're wondering when are people going to stop buying them. One day they're going to stop buying them. They're going to become, you know, there's going to be something else that people are going to be doing. But, you know, we're, we're, we're still selling them. 
um, we're burnt out. We want to try something new. So we're kind of looking for something different. But looking for, the, for that next creative step, which something. I think all artists look for no matter what the medium is. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I mean, you guys are successful in what you do, but that does not stop you from wanting to be like, okay, what right. can we do next? Like, what can we do on top of what we are already doing that is successful and that people are really jiving with? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. And we just kind of lucked out. And by the way, any, uh, if there are some nerdier listeners to this uh, and they want to <laughs> check out my website, I do get a chance to do pop culture artwork, which is really fun. It's a good break. Mm-hmm. Um, on my page, if you go in the portfolio section, you'll see um, some some colorful um, pop culture art, which I like to do on occasion. But it doesn't sell as well as the animals. But it's good to have on my portfolio. So yeah, excellent. Uh, so the other the other thing, kind of you know, let the people know your geek bona fides because for the people that cannot see you which is everyone because this is an audio media (laughs) so on the wall behind ryan at his home he -hmm. has a bunch of action figures on the wall you have some very unique pieces so kind of give people your geek timeline like when did you know inherently that that is who you are um well everybody collected i mean our age star wars he-man whatever Mm -hmm. ninja turtles uh and some parents kept them, some didn't, mine didn't. Um, so my, my high school buddies uh, and I in high school went back. It was amazing. It was such a fun movement that we had. We went back and asked all the other kids and the boys, and uh, we could have their, own, their old Star Wars figures, you know, from the 70s and mm. 80s. And they're like, yeah, I don't, what do you, I don't care. In fact, I remember selling or buying a Stormtrooper Luke, which is a highly sought-after figure, from a kid for $4, so he could take that $4 and buy some like a nice figure for it. Uh, long story short, we collected Star Wars figures, and we each had tons of these old Star Wars mm-hmm. figures. That, and we had this, you know, this appreciation for Star Wars that never really died. Uh, and then we collected. We um, and then they, late nineties, they started make, remaking the Kenner remade the crappy right. muscle bound Star Wars figures. <laughs> uh, and I, that's when I stopped. I didn't really care about anything else collecting any more figures and then i remember specifically my brother when uh phantom menace came out but the nemoidians uh the two kind of alien guys in the beginning of that movie mm-hmm. and I, he lived in a different state and i and i was i was home and i was looking like wow these are really well made like this is cool just to have representations of these guys on your desk you know they're really mm-hmm. they're, they look realistic and so I bought those guys myself, and that's where it started. Like just those stupid little Lemoyans. And then I had the Phantom Menace fever, where oh, my wife and I and Eugene I am, would I go am out. So sorry. <laughs> I me too. Well, at the time it was like I was obsessed, and right. my girlfriend, my wife, and my girlfriend at the time would go take the bus and Eugene out to the, the Fred Meyer on West something out there, mm-hmm. and we would she'd go on hunts with me, and I'd collect all of them, and um, and from there it snowballed and. Where I'm sitting now is um, my furnace room, but it's <laughs> technically my action figure storage. And I'm sitting around oh, 20 plus Tupperwares uh, stacked to the brim of uh, current action figures. Mm-hmm. I have some vintage stuff, um, but the current, it just strikes a nerve with nerds who want to feel that nostalgia. And the action figure collecting community is insane right now. Mm-hmm. Companies are making better sculpted, painted, articulated. They're just, you know, 
it's all state of the art. It's really cool, and everybody uh, who collects Iverson like I do, or you know, it never ends. So my wife said she's like, it's never going to end when it when it like it's going <laughs> to keep going forever, and she's right. It's like uh, I try to cycle out older stuff so I can make room for the new stuff, but it's an obsession. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not proud of it, but you in should a tiny, be. There, yeah, I a, mean, <laughs> in a time, you know what I say? It's inspirational for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I don't know what, it's, it's inspiring the color. I, I love superhero costumes, and mm-hmm. old, classic, whatever, you know, reproduction stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the other thing is like, especially, you know, talking about, you know, our generation, I think one of the things that really kicked off the action figure boom in the 90s was when Todd yeah. McFarlane yeah. started coming out with the McFarlane line of toys, which at right. the time, even now, like he continues to innovate or the company still continues to innovate. But at the time yeah. in the 90s when those were coming out, yes. it was crazy. Because back in like the 70s and 80s, when they would mess up on a toy <laughs> and give Luke or like the, I think it was the Vader who had the telescoping lightsaber, mm-hmm. yep. you know, it was an accident with a lot of those. McFarlane was like, okay, I'm going to make this one spawn, this medieval spawn that has a green patch on his left shoulder. I'm going to make 10 of them. Good luck kids. Yeah. And it was just like, come on. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're right with the McFarlane stuff. I think that's where the adult collecting mm-hmm. might've kicked, kicked in. And because they would go for realistic. Uh, I never got into spawn actually. It, uh, the title and any of the image stuff back then, mm-hmm. but when he started making the movie figures, yeah, I mean those were like the, the ancestors to the amazing stuff that this company called NECA is doing now, uh, where they're making all your favorite movies into action figures. So you want like scenes on your table and your your shelves uh, mm-hmm. representing different movies that you loved. But yeah, it's and the the hard to get stuff. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so. With that, with the with the action figure, because our actual theme of the episode does tie into all of this. Which yeah, is, it does. <laughs> which we're going to be talking about Stranger Things eventually, uh, but it ties into all of these nostalgia things, all of these, right. you know, timeline historical geek things. So before we go into that, speaking of action figures, what is, I, I have a two-part question. One, <laughs> what is the one that got away? What is the one action figure that either you saw at a store and passed on, you saw on eBay, something <clears throat> that you saw that it was the one that got away? Um, I rack my brain. I, I can tell you my my white whale, the one I can't find. How about okay, that? That was part two. Part two. <laughs> the second question was <laughs> well, what, what is the passed? what is the pot of gold action figure? But you know, if you can remember a certain one that got away, go for it. If not, skip to part two. You know, I'm such a resourceful collector that I hate to say this, but everything that's gotten away that I wanted bad enough, I'd figure out a way. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, uh, okay. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> Just um, like, I am that good where if I want something, I get it. Okay. Yeah. There's, um, there are rare actions out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I luckily, you know, for whatever reason, haven't really uh, needed them. Uh, coincidentally, I, I haven't needed them. So I, you know, everything else has been pretty, you know, it's accessible if you try, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I happened to, uh, across a couple of rare figures, which I wasn't really interested in, but I, I happened to get them at the time and I happened to see them. And now mm. people are guffawing over it. Like there, I have a 
Dragon Man action figure that came out a few years ago. Okay. Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Found him at a uh, comic shop, bought him, and I looked on eBay the other day, and like, I think he's going for like $600. What? And I don't understand that. I'm like, oh, that's awesome that I happen to have this guy. I mean, he's okay. He's a great action figure, but he's not $600 to me, but it, right. I'll keep him because that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but right now, the one I'm after, um, my white whale, is uh, Transformers Masterpiece Starscream. Transformers Masterpiece Starscream. Yeah, and uh, the Masterpiece line basically went back and um, Takara, uh, they're remaking the old Transformers that we knew and loved growing up. Mm -hmm. They're not doing anything extreme, like giving them, you know, giant rockets. They're making them (laughs) true to the cartoon and true Mm -hmm. to the the, um, Generation 1 toys. Okay. But they're making them amazingly um, detailed, accurate, uh, the amount of um, design work that went into make it, they're amazing. They're really cool. Hmm. And transforming them is like a, a thing. You have to spend like a, take a half hour out of your day to transform it. So they actually, so they do still transform. They do. And they're, they're amazing. Yeah. They're wow. really cool. Cause I think uh, that, that was something like with our generation. Yeah. When you got a toy, like a transformer and I always, we were broke growing up. So I would get like yeah. the go bots. Yeah. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I had one, official transformer it was a uh, coop i think from the movies he was like the oh, scooter yeah. type thing that someone laid in yeah it was the weirdest <laughs> thing but you had him yeah but i had him and it was one of the things like where you could actually transform them as brilliant as some of these action figures are that you see these days yeah i'm like man if i try and twist this the wrong way yes and break it your heart yeah. is broken so right it is nice that this company which, so what company is making those now? Takara, which is the original ones that did the old oh, wow. ones. Oh, wow. So okay, so that, that makes sense. Okay. It's a Japanese company, and they, um, you know, they'll, it, yeah, they're, they're amazing. They're really cool. Um, they're just really well engineered. I can't understand how these people have made you can turn a fighter jet, tuck all those arms and legs in perfectly, and turn it into a, a badass-looking uh, Decepticon robot. Awesome. So, so say it, it was so it was the masterworks masterpiece masterpiece, yeah, nice. They're really cool. Okay, so to any listener, if you really want to get on Ryan's good side, <laughs> go ahead and pick oh, one yeah. of those up and send it to him. Yeah, I'll pay you back. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah, he was he was just harder to find. Uh, he, mm. he they released him in Toys R Us apparently briefly, and it was like a flash, and uh, nobody really. I mean, people found them, but I didn't. They're they're really they were scooped up very quick. How crazy is it? The Toys R Us is still around. Mm-hmm. Like it just like barely. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. True, it is barely, but they still whatever licensing deal they work yeah. out. They still get so many exclusives. They do. It is yeah. crazy. And I think a large part of it is the adult. Coll- I mean, they have a good adult collecting section. Basically, uh, about fifty to fifty, I'd say the action figure mm-hmm. sections, kids. But then the adults. And anytime you go in there, you see dudes like me or even older <laughs> right. flipping through the pegs. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's going to be me in 10 years. Oh, well. Right. <laughs> oh, it is one of those things where as you are doing it and you look at the other guy and you're like, oh, that guy is weird. Let me try and yep. get this. And then <laughs> that realization, wait, I Ooh. am that guy right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Oh, well. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So that that was your pot of gold. And yeah, that was kind of your, your, your geek bona fides, your, your yeah. lineage. Yeah. That in comics, but we, I mean, we could 
talk about comics another time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And wrestling because Brian yeah. is an absolute wrestling uh, fanatic, old school wrestling fanatic. Yeah, anything past 1994, I don't care about. But uh, <laughs> pre 94 and the the gold, uh, the, I don't know, golden days of WWF. I don't know. I, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure what what they what they actually classify. If we were to go golden age comics, no problem. But, yeah, we got that. But it's before the Attitude Era. Before the Attitude Era, okay. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so we'll talk about, yeah, comics another time. This definitely will not be Ryan's last time on the show. Do not worry about that. <laughs> so we will go into the main focus of this episode, which is a show that I will admit I was way behind on, <laughs> and I only <laughs> recently powered through all of it, and I'm ashamed of that. So yeah. it is Stranger Things on netflix i so, thought it was um perfect strangers you told me we were gonna talk about perfect strangers Ooh, oh this is awkward just, no, I mean, no should, should we switch it into the balky episode all of a sudden <laughs> oh yeah there we go no, no one's ma- no one's made that joke all right sorry go ahead yeah <laughs> and yeah shout out to uh ask your ask your parents kids what perfect strangers <laughs> was <laughs> because only some of us remember that yeah uh okay so stranger things on netflix this is a show that is lighting the world on fire. In or lit the, lit the world on fire. Yes, it did. It Still lit, is. It lit the world on fire and is continuing to. Yeah. Uh, now, Brian, when did you watch it? Were you one of the early adopters? As in, like, was it a first weekend type of thing? No, um, I'm usually really late on shows in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember seeing ads for it on um, Facebook, maybe like for a week. Mm-hmm. And I kept seeing that same image, you know, of them kind of all huddled down. It kind of looked like a Drew Struzan painting a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard a little, a little bit of buzz, and then I told Lucy, "I'm like, hey, let's. Um, this sounds like it's going to be." And I kind of read about it a little bit. This mm-hmm. sounds pretty cool. Let's watch it. And it's very rare that we will sit through a show together because we're we work at home, so we work right. all hours of the day. So nighttime when the kids are asleep is when we work, but we mm-hmm. kind of made, uh, we put aside a week to work and watch, as we call it. Well, we half, half-ass work, but more watch a show. <laughs> right. Um, and I was hoping um, she would be into it, because I knew I, I knew I was going to be into it. And mm-hmm. um, she gave it a couple episodes, and she's like, yeah, this, this, let's, let's keep going. So we were, uh, nice. I think at, at the, towards the end of the week, we didn't do any work. We just kind of sat and ate <laughs> and watched it. Right. Um, so pretty early on, but not one of those people where, Oh, I heard the show's coming out. It's going to be great. I'm going to watch it as soon as... Like, for instance, the other Netflix, like the Daredevil and the, mm-hmm. um, the Luke Cage, there's going to be people who are going to watch it the second it's available. I'll get around to it because I'm so busy. My time for shows is limited. But Stranger Things, we made an exception to, to okay. finish, um, I'd say about a week or so after it came out. Which is awesome because with the amount of podcasts I listen to and with how many friends I have that we talk about these geeky things... When I would have to skip an episode of a podcast because they were talking about it and I had not oh, yeah. watched it yet, it That's was tough. brutal. Yeah. So recently, finally just got through it and I will not go into my, my rating yet. We'll just kind of go over <laughs> go over the show. Uh, but yeah, it took me longer than I had wanted to because yeah. same with you. Like When I started seeing the ads, I was like, okay, this is hitting me in the feels. And all yeah. of the feels, I am excited for it, but it was just something where 
I just, yeah, I, stuff came up and I could not make the time for it. Yeah. And I changed that. So yeah. now, yeah, so I've seen all of it. Some of it I have seen more than once. Right. And before we go into the show, the main thing that this show nailed is there's this fog, this nostalgia filter where the shows and movies that we remember from our childhood, you know, things like E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Goonies, Goonies, all of those classic movies where we remember them as a kid and they were like, this looked incredible and they did this and this. And you watch it now and you were like, this looks bad. Like this just... (laughs) Yeah. And so the thing with the nostalgia filter is this show looks like what we remembered those old yeah. movies looking like. But it's good. But it is good. And so yes. that is the thing is like, yeah, it is, sometimes going back and watching those old movies is a tough watch. But this right. is something that it looks like what we remember. Yeah. And that and, is um, that is unique. Yeah. Those brothers, uh, they, they like we we're talking about the action figure thing. Mm-hmm. People our age, for whatever reason, the nostalgia is a big thing to go and relive your childhood stuff mm-hmm. now that you're older. And I don't know if that's how like our parents were. I, I, I think about that sometimes. I wonder. I mean, not really, because I know like with my dad, like he, it breaks my heart whenever <laughs> I hear the generation above us, our parents' generation, talk about when they had comics in high yeah. school and then just threw them away. Yeah. Like yeah. my dad had Captain America's in like the early, like the, as far as numbering of the issues wise, like fifties and sixties and seventies. It's like, yeah, when he got to high school and he was like, eh, I just threw those away. And it was just like, uh, like part of me <laughs> dies inside. Yeah. And I think at that, our parents' generation, it was like, okay, I got over that. There are other things. Whereas our generation, there's something about desiring that connection yeah, and wanting either to reconnect with what we had and actually get those figures, get those comics that we remember, yep. or looking for those new things that remind us of that. Right. And I think it has to do with the '80s were just so rich, yeah, with colorful, amazing pop culture. I always say to myself that like 1985, there's so much good stuff that happened in that year, just in terms of pop culture, comics, toys, movies, mm-hmm. you know, cartoons, music. Yeah, it, it was a it was a great time to be a kid. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it it is interesting when when yeah, when we are thinking about things like that, when we're watching shows like this, and again, even from the trailer, I knew yeah. that I was going to like this show. Yeah. I knew that if the trailer lived up to it, which again, sometimes it does not, and that no. is <laughs> that is okay. Yeah. <laughs> um but it was just it had enough to really garner my interest so yeah Yeah. so how about we go into a couple different uh areas of this show starting off with the intro to the show yeah probably my favorite part see now and that is something where when you (laughs) nail a like 90 second or two minute intro to your show that does not have what we remember from our old TV shows, which was always, it was collages. It was vignettes. Yeah, it showed the actors like, and that was something that was really common with this. It just, it is just the, the way the music comes in, the way the letters kind of fade in and come together. And I think my favorite part of the intro was it has like those spotty kind of VHS tracking dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Attention to detail like that. Right. Is incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, every time I watch that intro, I feel like a moth going to like a bug zapper. It's like it just sucks you in, and you're like, okay, let's see what's going on in this episode. But yeah, yeah, the the font the font is great. Um, mm-hmm. The music, I just love that synth pop music. That's something I've been into for uh, a while, mm-hmm. and um, it's just I could listen to that stuff all day. I think um, another movie called or a movie called Turbo Kid, which I didn't think I would like, but it was actually pretty entertaining. Turbo had a very kid. similar, yeah, had a very similar um, uh, soundtrack, kind of that, you know, that heavy synthesizer stuff. I really like that. I'm uh, googling by the way, that right now because I'm trying to remember. Oh, the recent one. Okay. Yeah, it's recent. Yeah, it's, yeah. They tried really hard, really hard to make that nostalgic, and they did a good job. But it was entertaining. Usually, that <laughs> stuff I kind of like. Like, uh, this is just going to be dumb. But it was the violence was really cartoony and pretty funny. Gotcha. Um, okay. Uh, the soundtrack, I, the soundtrack stuck out. Um, and I was actually watching. Um, you seen Only God Forgives? I'm not sure. I don't think okay. so. The Nicholas uh, Winding Refn movie. There's a scene in the end where um, Ryan Gosling's character is fighting police chief, and they're playing a song that sounds so similar to that Stranger Things sound oh, uh, wow. theme song. And this came out years a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I had to pause the movie and, and look up if it was the same. Uh, composer and is it it's not okay but it makes me wonder if maybe anybody listening knows uh what i'm talking about they can access that scene mm-hmm. see if i'm wrong because they, they sounded very similar and then i was like well it kind of almost sounds a little similar to the daredevil opening song oh okay I, yeah yeah and and i kind of went and looked at uh those three composed they're all different people but anyway um you're kind of seeing uh that maybe that style of music a little bit, pop up a little bit more. I and, guess. I, and I think that was the other thing is like, you know, growing up with Tron, which is yeah. another one of those movies where, man, go, I, <laughs> yeah. I dare people to go, <laughs> to go back and watch that movie yeah. and realize like, Ooh, this is rough. If you go back and watch it and say like, Oh, this, this is not too bad. Okay, sure. But when you yeah. saw it as a kid, it blew your mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it just does not really hold up. So I think, you know, the music kind of reminds you of that type of thing, especially with the Neutron movie. Yeah. I mean, it was Daft Punk. So, I mean, it, you know, just kind of the pioneers of that oh. type of sound. Right, yeah. So, yeah, they, they hooked me <laughs> right with that intro. Yeah. Yep. And that, that, was, that was amazing. So with the performances. Mm-hmm. What were kind of some of the key performances that stuck out to you? Uh, definitely Matthew Modine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Matthew Modine, and I love how I, I can remember correctly. By the way, I want to say that um, it's not fresh on my mind, so I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do my best to kind of recount stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think I remember he he didn't speak for a while, right? A few episodes. Yep. Okay, yeah, he just kind of stood there menacingly. <laughs> yeah, and when you see an actor that you really uh, like and admire, I like. I always like Matthew Modine. Mm-hmm. Uh, play a villain. I just love you know actors when they they change it up. I don't think he's been a villain that I can remember before. He played a pretty convincing, uh, scary guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was cool looking. And he still looks pretty awesome. Um, so I, his performance was great. And even when he did start talking, I thought he was a good job. Uh, well, I, I think that kind of not to cut you off, but I think that kind of speaks volumes when you can have a character like that who is this shadowy government conspiracy type of character right? where you can understand kind of who he is and how menacing he is without him saying anything. And he is not the menacing where he has this huge 
type of government guide is just, you know, this guy knows some stuff and has been well, through some stuff. Quiet and he's, uh, he's pretty evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, of course, liked Hopper, the, the police officer, mm-hmm. with the kids. Um, Eleven did a great job, and I just felt a lot of sadness for her the whole time. Yep. And um, so I thought the way that you know she did a that actress did a great job. Um, I, I felt a lot of emotion coming from her. Like I felt really awful for her the whole time. I think mm-hmm. it even stayed that way till the very last episode. Um, I don't know what. Winona was okay for me. She, she's, she's Winona. <laughs> and that, that was, that was honestly, that was, I mean, when I was doing my notes for the episode, that was one of the things, even when I was watching the episodes where everyone, all of the performances are very, very well done. Yeah. But with Winona Ryder being that she arguably is the biggest star in this, like right. Matthew Modine is a character actor. You see yeah. him, you recognize him. He is a journeyman actor, and he is great. Right. But Winona Ryder is easily the 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 top list, the B list, the A list actor in this. Yeah. And so there were a couple times when I was like, okay, this is a great performance. Yeah. But this is Winona Ryder giving a great performance. Yeah, I couldn't shake that. I know what you're saying. But she did. I think she did have the most, maybe the most. Difficult acting. She had to do some acting. Oh no, she she acted her ass off. That is she for did. sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, she did. She was great. Yeah, but um, maybe that was the character. I, I don't know. It was a little to be desired for me, but I can't put my finger on it. I mean, yeah, I, I think with me, the only the only thing that took me out of it was yeah. that it was one on, one on a writer, and that is not to say that she did not do a great job. She really did a great job. Yeah, but because we know her. And we have enjoyed her work before. Yeah, it was rec- it was just that that cognitive dissonance was yeah. not there. Whereas yeah. with the kids, with Matthew Modine, with David Harbour who played Hopper. Yeah, even though we have seen Matthew Modine before, we have seen David uh, Harbour before. It was there was there was a difference there. There was something yeah. that separated it. And these kids, that was one of the biggest successes i think of this show yeah. is you went with kids right not kids not not people who are trying to be kids not you know anything like that like these are true child actors yeah. and and most of them this is the first thing they have ever done right yeah. so the casting director whoever it is and i could look it up because i have the google machine right in front of me <laughs> uh the casting director nailed it yeah definitely the kids are great. And I think a lot of people can relate to those kids too. Mm-hmm. I used to, you know, ride around on my BMX with my buddies. And, um, yeah. Again, with the nostalgia thing, they were great. Um, you had your comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucas was awesome. I loved uh, when he took charge of the one, that one episode, by the way, this is uh, spoiler filled, right? <laughs> At uh, this point. We, we will try not to spoil the yeah. ending because that okay. is the thing is, uh, it is eight episodes. It is roughly eight hours. I mean, every episode is around 55 minutes. Um, so we will not spoil like the very, very ending. Right. So we can, we can talk in generalities. I try not to spoil too many things that are modern, you know, things yeah. that are out right now. Yeah. So, but that being said, there are only eight episodes. You can power yeah. through this in a weekend if you want to. Yep. 
so but yeah so go ahead so with with uh lucas who again i have the google machine right in front of me caleb <laughs> caleb mclaughlin caleb played McLaughlin. lucas yeah he was great I mean, all the kids were awesome they were mm-hmm. they're really cool um, and i think the thing with with 11 uh you felt her journey the entire way yeah and th- this movie or this movie <laughs> this eight episodes it felt like the best type of movie in the sense of you cared for these characters, you understood their journey, the mistakes they made. They are kids. Like right. all of us had those fights with our friends that yep. were over the dumbest stuff. Right. <laughs> that you just kind of had to shake hands and be done with it. Yeah. And you watch these kids go through that. Right. Yeah. yeah it it was it was incredible yeah the one thing with the kids i'm wondering if um i don't know when they're gonna start shooting for season two but mm-hmm. it's movie kids grow up fast so yes. are they gonna, they're gonna are they gonna be like their voices are gonna be changed mm-hmm. uh they're gonna be a lot bigger and I, I don't know i'm interested to see how that goes how the when they, they yep. a couple years a couple years that pass in the story well, that was that was the thing is that I was going to get into this later. We can touch on it now. So season two was yeah. already greenlit by like the second day that this was on Netflix. Oh, that's great. I see. I love how successful it became. That's I feel great for the, you know, the creators. I think it's awesome. I don't think that anybody had really heard of these brothers before. I know yeah. they did something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Duffer brothers have done a couple other things. Uh, I was looking them up before, before we started and a couple movies, but realistically, this is like their third or fourth major thing. Right. So that is pretty huge. Right. When yeah. you come out with something unique like this, yeah. Yeah. and it grabbed people immediately. Yeah. Every time I'm flipping through Netflix, like the original series, there's so many that I've never heard of. Like, there's just like, oh, someone's got to be watching this. It's not right. me. There's, I just think they, they, it's like never ending. But this one, you know, would mm-hmm. have easily been one of those. But it just was done right, and um, it's like a household name now. And uh, everybody's super excited for season two. Uh, and by the way, with season two, I feel like I remember hearing early rumors mm-hmm. that season two would not take place after this at all, but it would be a completely separate story with new characters, which I thought was interesting. But I guess yep. that's not, that didn't, I think that's, they're not doing that. Well, yeah, I mean, that is the thing is we really do not know. So they could do, they could go a couple different directions. And so <laughs> one of the questions that I had for you, after watching these eight episodes, would you want a prequel or a sequel? Ooh, that's great. Uh, I never even thought about a possible prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be happy with a sequel if there was some prequel element. How's that? Okay. Yeah, they can go back and, um, you know, maybe they'll do a sequel and then season three will be a prequel to it all. I don't know, but because um, it definitely it leaves the door open. Yeah, I'm going to say possibilities. Yeah, the way it ended, you have to see what happens next. So mm-hmm. a, a sequel is in order for sure. See kind of what goes on, but there's a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff that could be explained from yes. the first season. Absolutely. So you're, yeah, in your opinion, so you want a sequel first, then a prequel, because the way that they set this show up 
when we are first introduced to Eleven, who does not have a name, we just kind of call her Eleven. Mm-hmm. With going with that, like you could go that a couple different ways. Either she is the eleventh test subject, and if so, you could do a, a whole bunch of prequels or <laughs> one season of prequels that deals with possibly the first ten. Right. You know, I just I would if they do that. I do not want it to become Alien Four. Yeah. With all of the cloning and the ridiculousness. Right. But they, yeah. so they could go that direction or especially how the season ends, which I will not go into the last like 10 minutes, you could leap directly into a sequel. Yeah. It's right. Ready to go. So it is interesting. I, I really, yeah. I've not heard one way or another. Yeah. My preference, I have to agree with you. I really want a sequel because I want to see what happens to these kids right now. Yeah. If they did a sequel, season two, prequel, season three, if we then pick up with season four, once the kids have aged, then you can pick up the story five years later. Yeah. You know, I think, and, you, should, <laughs> I think you should, you should be on the creative team. <laughs> oh, right. If only Netflix, if you are listening and I say Netflix, cause apparently it would just be one big entity. Netflix, if you are listening, I would love to be in your writer's room. <laughs> it's as easy as that. Yeah, sure. Just put it out there into the world and, and right. hope it happens. I think with the sequel, um, people want to and need to see the kids. So uh, I think that's what we're going to get until we're burnt out of them, which is hopefully like a couple of... And you know, it could be like, I don't know True Detective because I've never seen it, but I've heard a lot of people say, hey, the first season was the best. Mm-hmm. Second season was crap. Right. I hope this doesn't go that direction. And we can maybe segue into that by, were you going to talk about who is cast in the second season? I have not even looked into who is cast yet. So, Would if, you like to know? I would love to know, yes. Okay. Um, they cast Vince Vaughn and oh. Colin Farrell. Wait, in second season of? Stranger Things. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> See, you're, put on, you're put on the spot. <laughs> so, right off the bat. Yep. What are your thoughts? Not a fan. <laughs> yeah. Because the success of this was built on the unknowns. Yeah. The success of this shows that you can have a show with unknowns and a couple big stars in there. Yeah. And it works. Why? I wonder if that was a creative decision. Well, wow. Yeah. At some <laughs> point in the process for them to be like, it, it could not be at this point. We need another big star because they're already a success without having one. Yeah. Wow. Um, my, my thoughts are in, uh, immediately were, oh, these act, everyone wants in on season two because mm-hmm. they know how awesome the show is. So those guys fought hard to try to you know get in that one uh, and they got it. And yeah. Maybe it'll be like uh, 30 years later and they're a couple, they play a couple of the kids. Okay. Now that could be interesting <laughs> if they were to do that. <laughs> but talk about performances by actors that take you out of it. Yeah. That would be a tough sell. I Double think. V, yeah, Vince Vaughn. Oh, and I could see a little more at Vince. Never a huge Vince Vaughn. I mean, he's okay, but... Um, but he is Vince Vaughn. You know yeah, exactly who he, he is. is. And we're... Um, we're gonna, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. We're going to watch them and see how they do, and 
see how it goes. Maybe it'll be amazing. Interesting. Strap in. <laughs> very, very interesting. Yeah. Now, there were a lot of foreshadowing kind of Easter egg things. And this one of them that I caught right yeah. away was in the first episode when the kids are, you know, riding their bikes after they, uh, when they have to leave uh, Mike's house. And they're riding away and they're like, I'll race you, you know, for a comic. The specific comic they mentioned yeah. was X-Men 134. Right, I remember that. And I was trying to put it in my, I, I couldn't come up with the issue of my head, but I bet you did. I sure did. <laughs> X-Men 134 was the introduction of Dark Phoenix. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, for those of you who know your comic book history, yeah. Dark Phoenix, basically, I mean, it. she, I mean, she was Jean Grey, duh, who had been Phoenix and part of the team for a while and then got corrupted by, was it Mastermind? I think it was Mastermind, um, who unlocked all of the latent telekinetic, telepathic abilities yeah. along with the Phoenix Force, and she became crazy yeah so it was very very that is not a coincidence the duffer brothers knew exactly what they were doing because this is they mentioned that x-men on 34 before we even see 11 before we even see this this girl who has who we find out right has telepathic slash telekinetic powers yeah so that is really interesting and they could again take that into a few different directions. Right. I, that was a good catch, by the way. I remember wanting to read... Oh, yeah, I was gonna, I'm going to look up what issue that is, but I think I just never got around. Yeah. Um, but I think I was, I was going to look it up to see... <laughs> I'm more of like a um, timeline fact guy, so I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that that was like, you know, not released in 1987. I wanted to make sure their, their facts were correct when they said oh, that yeah, issue. No, that, that issue came out in 1963. <laughs> that was 60s? I think so, yeah. Let me Phoenix. Let me check. No, oh no, no, it would it would not be six. Let me see. Uh, to the Google later. What is that? Was uh oh nineteen eighty? What am I talking? I was yeah, I was thinking of a, I was going way too. So far. yeah, it was a a couple of years. Yep. They had it for a couple of years. Which and in, while we're on, go ahead. While we're on the subject, um, I don't know if anybody else caught this, but um, a factual error that they I did I did catch. Show was um, when she levitated the Millennium Falcon toy. Oh, herself. here we go. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. That was not a vintage Millennium Falcon that she had. Interesting. Okay. And the way I could tell was the afterburner jet <laughs> colors were <laughs> were orange. <laughs> Hear me out. Mm-hmm. They were the stickers were orange, and on the vintage one they were blue. So I think that the the uh, art direction team had a probably most likely a 1997 model of the Millennium Falcon. Well, there you go, kids. The show is ruined. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Yeah, after that, I stopped watching. Right, exactly. It was such a a glaring error. (laughs) That was like the one thing that I know. Everything else, you know, as far as I know. (laughs) It is funny funny that you mentioned that because I was recently watching uh, The Get Down, another uh, Netflix show. And in one of the characters in Shao Fantastic's uh, room, I guess, he has a poster uh, on the wall that yeah. is a black lightning poster. Uh-huh. And again, it is hard <laughs> for me to see those things. And the same reaction you had to the million Falcon. I was like, 
that Black Lightning issue came out three years <laughs> before the series is set, or like three years after the series is set to take place. It just it is hard for us, you know, hardcore geeks to see those things and not, you know, kind of it takes you out of it for a second, for like a brief yeah. second. You have to point it out. You point it out to your geek friends, and then you feel satisfied. Exactly. What's the Falcon? <laughs> that is that is a hell of a catch. Yeah, well, I, I would not have known that. <laughs> it was easy, and it just kind of speaks to my useless information in my head. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the one of the other things that this show I think did really well in this eight episodes, because the beauty of Netflix is they're proving you do not need a 20 episode you know arc oh, yeah. on broadcast tv give us solid a solid eight episodes and yeah. what it does is it doesn't we do not have to be force fed we right. can just be like here it is you know just kind of let things happen the pacing right. of the show is another one of its huge attributes yeah. is that they Definitely. knew they had eight hours to tell this story yeah and they took their time yeah yeah, so, it's um, that's a good point. I never really like pay attention to that, but when you say it, you know, because I'm I just finished Breaking Bad and it took me years, <laughs> right. and that was just hard. It's like so much time, uh, and I do want to watch it again immediately. But with Stranger Things, I almost feel like I got the same amount of satisfaction. Yep, but it like it just leaves you so hungry for like more, and you know, in some cases you go and rewatch it, and uh, it's great that it's always available to rewatch, but. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, it's short and sweet, and mm-hmm. hopefully they'll have a, a bunch more seasons. And yeah, it just—it was one of those things where when I went to rewatch a couple of the episodes before we did this, just kind of refresh my memory. It it has that feeling that those movies from our childhood have. Of as soon as it started, I was smiling. I had yeah. a smile on my face because it just it felt so good. And so this is, you know, this is something where it might not happen that often. Like with Breaking Bad, that show is on a long time. And those seasons were yeah. long. Yeah, they were. And so you powered through it. It took you a long time, but you finally got to the end. And you were like, all right, I think I might be ready to watch this again. But the yeah. beauty of this, it is eight hours. Like if yeah. you really wanted to and you're really determined and you had the day off, yeah, you could do it in one day. Right. So yeah. that is tremendous. I remember like it being a chore to power through Breaking Bad. My oh, yeah. brother just kept bugging me. You have to keep watching it. Keep watching. I'm like, oh, I gotta watch. It's like I have to take another bite to get to the end. You know, you just keep going. But with Stranger Things, it's not a problem. You're ready for the next one. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it's so. And Breaking Bad was like that too. Yeah, but just in a much larger scale. Well, and the beauty with this is when it gets to the end of the episode, you get that. Excuse me, little timer being like. Next episode, 15, 14. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 13. And you were like, oh, well, I guess I'm watching this. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, the other things, I mean, other than the Millennium Falcon, which was out of context or out yeah. of, uh, you know, time, I guess, the costuming was yeah. perfect. Yeah. Like seeing, yeah. seeing the kids in the clothing, like, was perfect. One of the only other performances that, it was right on the border of a little bit too much was the eighties jock was Steve Harrington. (laughs) 
because it was just it was the jock that you remember from all of the movies we grew up with karate kid and all of that right uh and he, he was he was real close to being too much yeah but it still made sense it still made yeah. sense within the confines of the show yeah so it still worked it still felt right. authentic even though it was it was at like maybe seven out of ten eight out of ten like it was close right but did not get pushed over the edge yeah, he was. Uh, I I did not like that character mm-hmm. at at all. And but I don't know if this is much of a spoiler, but his character did a turn, and that turns out I actually like. Oh, I, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. He did a good job. Um, yeah, wasn't he kind of jock slash bully or? Uh, oh, for sure, definitely asshole. Well, well jocks. I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna say all jocks are assholes. <laughs> all right. In this show, they were uh, kind of throwing this together, but yeah. Well, and it was. It was uncomfortable. Like the first scenes with him, where he is in like the bath, the girls' bathroom. I guess we are led to believe. Yeah. Um, and he is kind of like it made you feel uncomfortable because they're like, uh, consent, please consent. <laughs> like, this is this is yeah. going in a weird direction. But that was the same type of thing in those old movies that we grew up with, right? Where it was kind of pushing it right to the edge. Yeah. And so you. You were from the beginning meant to hate this guy, yep. and and that is okay. And he plays it well. Yeah. It was just it was just one of the only other performances, other than one on a writer, that was just almost too close. Yeah, I see. I definitely. Um, but yeah, and I think the other one of the other successful things about the show, it felt like the spiritual successor slash spiritual prequel to the best of the X-Files. Yeah, which I'll say I haven't seen an episode of the X-Files, but... What, ever? No, I never got in the X-Files. I just... No, I, I don't know what it was. I'm I, writing down uh, minus five geek points, because <laughs> uh, that is a shame, sir. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a total of ten seconds of the X-Files. Wow. <laughs> it is on Netflix. You can watch all of it, except if you do watch all of it, do not watch the last, like, season and a half because it was garbage okay but the first season is what this reminded me of in the sense of i mean x-files it was monster of the week with this yeah. overarching theme yeah. this felt like one of the cases that Mulder and scully would be investigating so it gave me that again nostalgia feel of the 90s yeah of kind of reaching back into it and that was great yeah i've heard the two compared a lot as well mm-hmm. um i think yeah, one of one of the last things that that we can touch on with the show at least is one of the great things they did was the use of the walkie-talkies because yeah, I think cool. certain people watching this who, you know, are used to cell phones and used to instant communication, yeah, younger people, I would say than us, yeah, might have a hard time with that. Yeah. And they did a great job of incorporating the walkie-talkies as those cellular uh, yeah, devices. That, that was the best technology that they had at that time, yeah. and they made they made it work in a very um, thoughtful way. That was yeah, that was very interesting how that happened. I, I like that, um, and the whole communication with the lights as well. I thought that was really cool. that was interesting. That was one of my favorite parts was the the, the Christmas lights. I thought that was really the communication was great. Yeah, and for me, the scary if I can remember the scariest part of the whole season was uh, when. Um, Winona, Winona walks into the empty room and the music starts playing. 
just had a very haunted kind of ghost mm-hmm. feel for me. And I, I get scared at ghost stuff pretty easily. So that was, <laughs> that did it for me. Okay. Uh, so you yeah. are a giant sissy, but that is okay. Yeah. That's me. Uh, <laughs> Supernatural. The super- I can't, yeah. I can't see, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about the monster a little bit? I do in, yeah, loosely. Cause we, again, we will not, we will not, you know, jump to the end or anything. Right. The monster, um, yeah. You you go first. Like, what are your thoughts on the monster? I'll, I'll just say that um, I wish they would have made him a rubber suit, physical monster. Okay, like something you would see in an '80s horror movie. It would have really just blended everything perfectly instead of another kind of bland CG. Okay. Which, I, which I think, I think that would have, and that's a point. I think I'll give credit. My brother at that point, but I happen to agree with it would have been, um, <laughs> well to have, you know, just a dude in a rubber suit that looks, you can make a rubber suit really scary. Oh, absolutely. Well, you think um, about it like, again, dropping back into the, the nostalgia, you think about movies like John Carpenter's the thing yeah. you think about the fly. Yeah. They did some amazing creature effects. Right back then, uh, American Werewolf in Paris, London, London. Sorry, oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the Paris one was the nineties one. Oops, uh, <laughs> American Werewolf in London. So I I can see that. Um, Predator is a great example of like oh a, yes, a well done practical suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I could I can definitely see that, and I think I think they could have done that in a lot of the scenes. Yeah, I do think some of the scenes were really aided by the fact that they went CGI. That's um, true, and, and, and so, some of the movement I think was was beneficial to use CGI. Yeah, but I, I I will definitely agree with you and your brother. We'll we'll give him <laughs> credit for that one. Uh, that a CGI or a practical suit might have elevated it a little bit than the CGI. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think just like the. You know, for the nostalgia's sake, and you know, mm-hmm. keep it keep it in sync with everything else. It, it would have been cool, but you don't see that very much these days in, in movies. Yeah, it does seem more rare, which was just a shame because, again, we grew up watching these movies that were terrifying because yeah. it was a real thing. Alien, the first yeah. Alien, Predator, things like that, where that was a dude yeah. in a suit, a tall dude in a suit, <laughs> and it was terrifying yeah yeah definitely okay my thoughts on the monster uh i I liked it a lot uh the dungeons and dragons nerd in me yeah uh you know they they referenced the demogorgon in the first episode uh the demogorgon one of the features that it has was multiple heads yeah this creature only had one right hoping for more but but that is okay uh (laughs) it did have like multiple like mouths, I guess you could say, on its little like f- face thing. Yeah. So it had, that, a, it had a very like flower petal head. Mm-hmm. I felt like. Yeah. I don't know. It was kind of like the super demonic version of Audrey Two. Yeah. From Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Uh, in the best way possible. Right. <laughs> so that is not a knock on Little Shop of Horrors or this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think they did, and I also think that they did a good job with the monster because it was CGI, not overdoing it. 
not using it in every scene or whatever. Like they used it very sparingly. Yeah. And I think that was what made it work better. Right. And give you a lot to be, I mean, it gave you stuff to be afraid of, but nothing really visually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Until like towards like the very, very end when you, it was only until the very end that you truly saw the whole thing. Yeah. And kind of the quote unquote light of the day. That was great how they did that, for sure. Fantastic. Uh, I think that, I mean, yeah, those were, I think we burned through most of my notes. Do you have any other notes, any certain things that you wanted to point out? I just thought uh, the coolest visual scene for me, I love the, um, the kids going down the street and Eleven handling that van. Oh, yes. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I can just watch that over and over again. That was great. And that you've, was, seen it, you've seen it in superhero movies. Right. And I, I think, but this was it was awesome. See a little girl do that with her mind. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And I think that was a, a nice thing that they did is that Eleven, when she would use her powers, which she has had for an indeterminate amount of time, we're yeah. never really sure, you feel her pain. You feel yeah. her hesitation to even do anything. Because she knows she has that visceral reaction of like, when I do this, either A, I hurt myself or B, I hurt someone else. And so she was incredible. Uh, So a huge shout out to, let me pull up her name again, uh, Millie Robbie Brown. Because all the kids nailed it. I was, I believed all of these kids and their reactions with her in particular it was just, it was so solid and so picture perfect for yeah. what you would think a kid with powers would do. Like she does something like that and then the kids are scared of her. She is kind of scared of herself of what she just did. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that definitely it's, visually that was incredible. Kids did a great job and it didn't hurt that they were uh, well-written as characters. Yes. For sure. And I wonder if any Stranger uh, Things fans would be a little upset if we didn't bring up Dustin the comic really kid who was great. <laughs> yes. I think he was he was probably a fan favorite, I'm guessing. Uh hilarious kid. I, I think that he's probably gonna have a pretty bright future mm-hmm. uh doing something else someday. I just feel that I don't know. He he was uh, entertaining and um, I can't wait to see him all again. Yeah, yeah, he, he absolutely was because all of the other characters had uh <laughs> their serious <laughs> moments when things were really bad and he was always able to kind of break that down. He was always able to kind of yeah. be that voice of reason that it feels like all of us had in our circle of friends at some point, somebody to point out that either A, something was incredible, or B, something was ridiculous. Right. When he was just like, why are you guys fighting? Like, she yeah. just did this amazing thing. So, yeah, definitely shout out to to him as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, he did a great job. That was uh, Gatton? Gatton? Yeah. Yeah, Mazzaro? Oh no, Ma- Matarazzo. Wow. Matarazzo. Sorry, yeah. sorry, kid. I just butchered <laughs> your name, and you're it was the, it was real bad. You're the first one to ever do that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, and to see these see these kids like at the Emmys recently, right? I'm not sure if you saw any of the footage of them. Like, I did watch it. Yeah, handing out sandwiches. Like, it reminds you. Like, these are kids. And yeah, they're still yeah. Like that. <laughs> that was tremendous. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. So, so fantastic. Uh, That's so, all I got. Yeah. I, I think we, we covered just about everything. So there is 
a rating system on this podcast. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, yep. as the great Stan Lee has always said, every comic book is someone's first comic book. Yeah. So if this is your first time listening to this episode, mainly because Ryan Berkeley of Berkeley Illustration is on it, and you were like, anything that guy does, I want to be a part of. <laughs> oh, of course. So, so the rating system for this podcast, there are three choices, good, bad, or ugly. And good has a wide range. It could be a decent movie, film, TV show, album that you liked, but you were not super thrilled about, all the way to it was the best thing ever. Bad is okay, I do not regret my time that I spent on this, but I might not recommend it to my friends right away. Ugly, of course, would be avoid at all costs. <laughs> yep. So as the guest, Ryan, good, bad, or ugly, if people have not already uh, determined that, what would you give Stranger Things officially? Uh, definitely ugly. It was good to talk to you, John. Wow. Just, <laughs> as Ryan just hangs up. <laughs> no, it would def, uh can't not give it good. It, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anybody say anything remotely uh, negative about this show mm -hmm. that I can remember. It's across the board, uh, very entertaining, uh, very watchable. Everybody's talking about it. So definitely two thumbs up. I'll give it a hearty good from Ryan Burke. Fantastic. This is on wax. This is permanent. Uh, this, this will be etched in stone at some point. Yep. Uh, that would be awesome if one of the listeners is good at stone cutting. Uh, <laughs> if I have any dwarven listeners, any of my D&D &D friends, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, to my rating, again, this show was something that a lot of times when there's this much hype about a thing, whether yeah. it is a movie, a TV show, a new album, whatever it is, you kind of sometimes go into it being like, all right, like I, I will see what the hype is about. Yeah. Within, not even joking, within the first five minutes, yep. it got me. I was immediately hooked. I was immediately ready for anything. It helped that within the first like five minutes, the kids are playing Dungeons and Dragons, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it just, yeah, it was incredible. So officially, my rating is good. I highly, highly recommend this to honestly anyone. Like, right. even though there is, you know, some swearing in this, you know, with the kids, it made sense. It was contextually appropriate. Right. And so, yeah, I, I firmly recommend this. So I give it a good, absolutely yeah. a good. And you're right. Things do get hyped up where finally you end up watching something where it's hyped up so much. You're like, Oh, this is okay. Like, what's the right. hype? But this, I think, is an exception. Yeah. And, like, currently right now on Rotten Tomatoes, this has 95%. There you go. I love my Rotten Tomatoes. So, and again, people love and hate Rotten Tomatoes for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is just, it is an aggregate, but 95% is pretty solid. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's not bad. Fantastic. Uh, so, Ryan, where Yo. can people find... You, where can people find Berkeley Illustration? Like, plug everything. Where can people oh. go? Well, uh, main website is berkeleyillustration.com. Uh, not like the city, but B-E-R-K-L-E-Y. Mm -hmm. um, we're also on Etsy. Um, basically has the same exact stuff. But our mm -hmm. shop, we try to drive people to the shop because um, it's a little more fun to look at. Mm -hmm. 
Um, let's see. I am doing Crafting Wonderland in Portland uh, this um, December, and I'll actually be in Seattle for the Urban Craft Uprising show selling Hey-o. in December as well. Um, we well, guess, probably- who, guess who is going to be in on, the, on another episode in December? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that. Um, I am going to have a lot of artwork um, coming up in the Gallery 1988 pop culture shows in Los Angeles. If you're okay. not checking checking that out, you should. Um, really amazing pop culture artists doing group shows of, oh boy, things ranging from children's book series to there's a Mike Tyson punch out show coming up, which I'm very excited. About. Uh, a what now? Like, yeah. is it, uh, what kind of medium is that going to be in or is uh, it across art, all mediums? Across all mediums. Yeah. So, wow. Um, that's a well of, uh, of ideas for me. I don't know where I'm going to start. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're just, uh, I don't know. We're, Mainly sell online, but you see us in, um, you know, pop up in shops, uh, different boutiques and stuff like that across the U.S. Um, we have a line of um, stationery and other really fun things coming out later from a, a big company, which I'm excited about. And actually, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm going to work on that. Excellent. Um, I guess I can say this: I'm working on my own deck of playing cards featuring animals, which is really ooh. So as soon as I'm done, I'm going to go draw a mallard duck wearing a king's crown, probably. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. I look forward to adding that to my Berkeley collection. (laughs) Yeah, that's my job. I can't can't complain. (laughs) Excellent. And then your personal Twitter and Instagram. uh, The Berkeleys. We're not too big on Twitter, but we're definitely Instagram people, and that would be the Berkeleys. Excellent. Uh, check it out. We, uh, my wife does a really good job with that page. She does it mostly, but I try to chip in every once in a while. And Lucy is an exceptional photographer. She's she's good. I love her photos. She's she's good. Thank you. Appreciate that. And then if anybody wants to follow my nerdier side of Instagram. <laughs> no, terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. That would be Party Guy Ray. With, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? The lower... The underscore? Underscore, thank you. Wow. Um, you would think Ryan is 85 <laughs> years old. What's that line called? Right. Uh, Party Guy Ray with underscores in between each word. Gotcha. And I, I try to post uh, kind of nerdier art there as well. But the Berkeley's is the official Berkeley illustration page. Excellent. Instagram. So yeah, yeah, I highly recommend people go and check them out. Uh, support local artists. Support indie artists. Because these guys are incredible and they keep producing incredible and unique children things. So oh, no art. Oh yeah. And, and, and that also, <laughs> thank you. So fantastic. And as for this podcast, you can find about to review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at about to review. You can stream all of the websodes, the websodes. Wow. You can stream all of the episodes from the website about to review.com. Also on iTunes, about to review. Uh, go on there and give a five star review. That would be fantastic. Uh, Ryan, I expect all of my guests to go on my page and give a five star review. No pressure. <laughs> no um, pressure. And yeah, so that is that is it for this episode. I have been joined by the one and only Ryan Berkeley, who is a good friend and just phenomenal person. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you, John. It was a lot of fun. And you are also a phenomenal. Oh, thank you. It actually cut out there for a second. It said phenomenal, and then it just dropped. So who knows what you said? You're a phenomenal um, 
Ventriloquist. Ventriloquist. Oh, <laughs> excellent. I mean, person. <laughs> Great. So, uh, yeah, we talked about Stranger Things. We talked about Berkeley Illustration. And, yeah, go check them out. And we will see you next time. Thanks again, Ryan. Yeah, see you, John. <laughs>